You're listening to the podcast for Inforum, an innovation lab at the Commonwealth Club. Buy tickets to upcoming live events in San Francisco at InforumSF.org. Want even more Inforum? Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at InforumSF. Hi, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hello, Hello. Nigel. Hello, Erlon. Um, good evening. Uh, it's my job to welcome you to the program Inforum and the Commonwealth Club. It is so delightful to be here in person with all of you. I have to say this is the first in-person event that I've done in almost two years, and I'm so thrilled to be here with you. <laughs> Uh, my name is Piper Kerman, and I'll be talking to these dazzling human beings today. I am the author of the memoir, Orange is the New Black, My Year in a Women's Prison, and also uh, a board member at the Women's Prison Association, uh, for those of you who are interested in uh, the plight of women in prison. But today, I'm excited and very honored to be in conversation here with these dazzling human beings. Nigel Poor. Thank you. And Erlan Woods. Hello. And they are the minds and the voices behind Ear Hustle. So Nigel was a professor of photography at CSU Sacramento when she first began volunteering at San Quentin Prison, the notorious San Quentin State Prison. And that's where she met Erlan, who was at that time serving a 31-to-life sentence. And yet here we are today. So they bonded over a love of storytelling and with no formal experience began the now critically acclaimed, wildly popular, and I have to say like groundbreaking. I mean, it's hard to remember because I know that the, the proliferation of podcasts has become, you know, startling. But y'all were really one of the first big, big podcasts, like back with Serial and Ear Hustle, like groundbreaking and really establishing a medium in people's minds as a, as a way to hear stories, a way to get information, a way to change your ideas about the world. And so I think you deserve a lot of credit for that. Thank you. Has everyone listened to Ear Hustle? I can't really see you, but I'm going to look. Yeah, okay. So you, you know what it's all about. We're going to get into the meat of it in a minute, and we're going to talk about this beautiful book, which you may or may not have already taken a look at. Um, if you have a question that you would like to pose, we will make time for questions uh, later in the program. But you have a question card on your seat. So if you have a question, please write it down. The staff will be circulating and collecting them, and we will read them on stage. And for those of you who are joining us virtually, you can pose questions too. Just do it in the chat, in the interface that you're looking at, um, and we will definitely get to your questions as well. So, hey. Hello. Hello. I'm so happy to see you both again. You know, they, uh, they have their office very close to where I live in Berkeley. Um, yes, yes, so yes. every now and then we have a, a wonderful bump in at, at lunch or something, but it's been a minute. Yes, yes. All right, I want to dive in, because what we're really here to talk about today is all kinds of things, but this beautiful book, this is Ear Hustle, Unflinching Stories of Everyday Prison Life. All right. So I know from the book that there was not this sort of thunderbolt moment when you, your eyes met across a crowded, crowded prison room and you were like, no, that's the person with whom my life will be inextricably entwined. Right? That's my freedom. Is, is that a fair comment that <laughs> it, it your lives are inextricably yes, entwined? Yes. yes. OK, so given that there wasn't a thunderbolt moment, mm-hmm. could each of you talk a little bit about how you decided to commit to the podcast together, sure. which ultimately is the thing yeah. that carried us to this moment where you're no longer in San Quentin and we're talking to all you beautiful people. Love it. You want to go first? No, I'm going with you. <laughs> okay. Um, so I started volunteering inside the prison in 2011 through the Prison University Project, and I found it so interesting that I wanted to find a way to keep working inside of the prison, and I made my way down to the San Quentin Media Lab in about 2012 and uh, working with some guys to try to do a documentary about life inside 
prison. And Erlon was down there working. Um, he was super quiet. He was very much in the background. And over maybe a three-year period that I was down there working, I got to know him. And I'm someone who's always really interested in the quietest person in the room. And believe it or not, that was Erlon. <laughs> uh, he's, not, he's not so quiet now, <laughs> but he was then. And... I mean, San Quentin was great, but there was also a lot of turmoil happening down in the media lab, and we just started talking a lot about it, and And he was just someone I could work with. I just saw something in him that that he was he was a hard worker. He was always there. He was a good problem solver. He was trustworthy, like just the type of person I'd want to spend more time with. And so we started talking and talking, and I was getting frustrated. I was going to leave the prison, and Erlon said to me, give me um, 90 days. And we'll turn things around down here. And in that 90 days, we started talking about doing the podcast. And I proposed to him we try to do a podcast. He said yes, even though he didn't know what a podcast was. <laughs> and um, on October 5th, 2015, we still have the paperwork. We wrote out our plans for this podcast. And that's how it happened. But there is one other thing I just want to say. I, I'm a photographer um, by training. And every once in a while, I was able to bring my camera into San Quentin. And I remember one day... I, I knew Erlon, but n- not that well. And I took a portrait of him in the housing unit, standing by a payphone. And when I got home and looked at the image, his his face was so full of emotion and like tender and wistful. And and I could it just looked like he was in another place. And the light on him was so beautiful. And that was really one of the things that told me like this is a person I want to spend time with. So it was it was a photograph and it was also observing him for a couple of years. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful photograph. That's what's up. Yeah. What about you, Erlen? How did you know? I mean, you knew Nigel pretty well from the media lab. Right. But how did you know that you wanted to commit to the podcast, particularly given that you were like, I'm not sure what a podcast is. No, it, it, I, it, so when she um, suggested it, of course, you know, I didn't know what it was, never heard a podcast because you don't hear them mm-hmm. in prison unless you listen to talk radio and you pretty much got to be on the yard based on you can't get a signal. Um, so when she was mentioning, you know, Nigel listened to a lot of talk radio. That's what she always talked about. She listened to a lot of talk radio. <laughs> so she was like, well, I'm, I'm going to talk to Robinson and, and bring some in. So she brought in Snap Judgment. Uh-huh. Um, so when I was listening to Glenn, I was like, man, this shit easy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm like, Lynn Washington, yeah, I'm the, like, the amazing podcast. No, definitely. And I was just like, you know, all they're doing is talking and, you know, that's it. You know, so I was like, <laughs> we can do that. We can definitely do that. And, uh, yeah, I learned early that it ain't that easy. It's not like, no, nah, we had like six hours of tape because when we started, we was just interviewing a person. Tell us your whole life story, you know. Yeah, yeah. So we have to distill six hours of tape down to 23 minutes and I was like oh yeah this 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 shit hard so but when she came with the idea of course I was like let's do it you know I was eager to do it um we had collaborated on a a story prior to that uh for KLW which was a breast cancer story they do breast cancer walks in San Quentin Mm -hmm. and uh I did a story for them and Nigel was like one of the producers on that she helped out on that so I was like let's do it and we put together a minute and 56, seven, 56 second promo yes, yes. and submitted it to the podcast. And here we sit. And you won it all. And we yes. won it all. That's right. And they I, didn't think it, but we won it all. I mean, I want to widen the lens and just say that simply doing the work that both of you came together, met at the media center to do within the confines of a prison is incredibly difficult to say nothing of making a beautifully polished and incredibly um, humane depiction of people that you that you accomplished doing. And so a prison is a place that is built to punish and it's built to, I really think, stifle creativity. And yet you can't stop the hustle. Can you? No, no, you can't. <laughs> you really no. can't. So those early, uh, early months, like there must've been some big lessons learned. I know there are, you can find out about those in the book. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of the story behind the episodes, yeah. but what was one of the first sort of, uh, 
mm, it doesn't have to be a painful lesson, but a startling lesson that was learned as you got that podcast off the ground. Yeah, well, we did, as Erlon said, we submitted for a podcast contest. And when we won, we really said to ourselves, I don't, can we swear? I don't know if this is going there. We yeah, were just like, swear. shit. Now we have to figure <laughs> out how to do we'll a be giving disclaimer. To, yeah, now we have to figure out how to do a podcast. I mean, we really didn't know how to do one. And in some ways, that was good because we didn't know how hard it was going to be. So, I mean, one thing is we, I was at San Quentin constantly, you know, sometimes five, seven days a week from eight in the morning to like seven at night. We just worked so hard and we just didn't take no for an answer. Like I always say working in prison, there need three P's, which is patience, politeness, and persistence. Mm -hmm. And with those three things, you can actually get things done. If you don't have those three things, forget it. And so we just were really focused on, you know, what our dream was and move forward. Um, I don't remember, I mean, I remember when we were far into things and there was a, a lockdown at the prison for about three weeks, and that was devastating because when there's a lockdown, Erlon and I couldn't have any communication, and so he had to trust that I was getting the work done on the outside that I could get done, and I had to trust he was inside getting work done, and we had like almost a telepathic way of communicating. Somehow, I mean, we were so close, we communicated without being able to always talk to each other. So I just always trusted things would get done. But when I look back on it, sometimes I can't believe that we actually did it. And in a humble way. I mean, yeah, you know, it just it's hard. <laughs> so I love this book. You know, I so I was incarcerated. Um, and then I also spent almost four years teaching in two st- a men's and women's state prison in Ohio. So I read this book, and I, I mean, certainly when I listened to the podcast, but especially when I read the book, I found myself identifying so powerfully with each of you, your, you know, not identical struggles in doing the work, and also your, both of your individual challenges and struggles, which are so beautifully depicted here. You know, we're sort of almost jumping over sort of the origin story. With my writing students who are incarcerated, we talk a lot about the intention of your writing, and if you just have a really powerful intention, you can always go back to that when you get lost Mm -hmm. or when things are really hard. And so I just want to read a tiny bit. I know it's not a book reading, but um, we first got together to quietly hatch a new plan for a more focused and creative project that would tap into the hidden, surprising, and unexpected stories of life in prison. We had a pretty clear shared goal from the start. Together, with Antoine's help, we would create a podcast that showed the commonality between those inside and those outside. We would help bridge the divide and use voices and stories to bring people's humanity to the surface. And that's exactly what you did. That was our plan. That, that, was, was, the, it. that was the yeah. plan. Yeah. yeah. So um, what do you think made that possible, both between your collaboration and also what's happening in the wider world that made the wider world so receptive to what you're doing. It was interesting because I think in the beginning, I didn't, I didn't pay attention that, you know, people in society didn't know exactly what was going on in prison. You know, um, I don't know why I didn't even think about that. You know, a lot of times people see the locked up shows and they see a lot of that depiction of, of that's life, people banging their heads on walls. Um, but I just never really paid attention that they didn't know exactly what was going on until we created Ear Hustle and I started getting responses from people, like like a lot of letters from people, or Nigel would bring in um, people reviews on the, on the episodes, and I was like, damn, yeah. it just it, it really it really blew my mind because in prison you don't get the up to date, up to the minute what's going on. Because I think when you used to come in, I used to be like. Yeah. What's the numbers? How many downloads? Yes, he was obsessed with <laughs> downloads, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, I, I knew very clearly the kinds of stories we wanted to tell. Um, when I started going into San Quentin, I, I looked to the things that grabbed my imagination and the things I wanted to know more about. And I, I wasn't interested in crimes. I wasn't interested in how people got there. I was interested in how they made a life once they got into prison. And so we were clear from the beginning that's what we were going to concentrate on, the minutia, the small acts that make life interesting. And those also help bridge the gap by showing a commonality between people inside and outside. So those are the two things I was really interested in. Not huge sweeping stories, but small things that would uh, just 
grab people's attention. And I thought if I was interested, other people are going to be interested too. And we just brought our distinct personalities to the way we tell stories. Because, again, we didn't know the rules. We didn't know what you were supposed to do or not supposed to do. So we just did what we were interested in. Mm-hmm. But what I knew I wanted to do <laughs> was curse. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that separates everything in prison. Like It's like a PG program. So like if you're on the yard, you're giving a, a concert, they don't want you to curse. <laughs> Most of the places is like chapels, so you don't curse. Mm-hmm. But I was like, it can't be real if we don't just say shit one time. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, like. <laughs> but yeah. that goes back to like being being ourselves. Yeah, like just, you know, hopefully we're both authentically who we are on the podcast. And and if you're not trying to be something else, it's a lot easier. I was listening to the Bonnaroo, the newest episode, the Bonnaroo episode, and it just it fills my every time every episode I listen to. That's what makes my heart sing is that I just recall what an incredible struggle it is when you're incarcerated Mm -hmm. to try and regain some sense of normalcy, whether that's regaining some sense of who you used to be or some sense of who you might be in the future. But that's the struggle which reveals itself in every single episode that you do. And so the Bonnaroo episode, if you haven't listened yet, I just I loved it. You know, I have I can I could think of three articles of clothing. It's an episode about clothing that I had in prison instantly. And I was like, oh, I want to tell that story. (laughs) But it's just it's so it's such a consistent, beautiful examination of often beautiful moments in people's lives. And also incredibly difficult yeah. moments sometimes as well. But uh, yes, I, it's it's endlessly, endlessly fascinating. Thank you. So, given that you have this spectacular podcast, why a book? Tell us about the origin story of the book. I think Erlen has to tell us since I told the origin story of the podcast. Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, I think so. Of course, the podcast is just you know, of course, the voices of everybody in prison is not really about us. Mm-hmm. You know, we do sprinkle our life in there here and there, but uh, we just wanted to just really uh, talk about how, you know, of course, both of us got to San Quentin mm-hmm. and how we was able to do this podcast and have the administration somewhat on board, mm-hmm. um, which was a, it was a task, you know, um, and to keep it going and to stay out of everybody's way. So we just wanted to basically talk about our lives and how we got there and how we was able to do this and and what else do we yeah. talk about? I mean, I always wanted to write a book about about the project. And as Erlen said, tell some of the background stories, how we got to San Quentin, things that weren't really appropriate for the podcast. And I wanted us to have another challenge together, another thing to see. Can we do this? Can we write a book <laughs> together? Um, because it's hard to find a creative partner. And when you do find the you know, your right creative partner, you want to push the limits of it. And so we had done the podcast and the next step, the next logical step to me was to write a book. Mm-hmm. And what better way to utilize COVID? Time. Yes, we did it during COVID. So True. <laughs> it was a good way to utilize COVID. Um, uh, so we, and we also wanted to, as I, I think I already said this, so give background to some of the stories and put some stories in there that we weren't able to do on the podcast. Um, for me, it's always about trying to get more women's voices on the show. So in the book, there's more women's stories. Erlon really wanted to talk about the three. St- okay. One of the things about our podcast is, yes, it's a political podcast, but we never overtly talk about laws, changing the laws. We try to give people enough information to make their own decisions about what laws need to change. And Erlon, one of his passions is ending the three strikes law. Mm-hmm. There was no place in the podcast for that, mm-hmm. but there was in the book. Yeah. Chapter nine. Can yeah, tell, chapter talk nine. to us about chapter nine, because uh, actually take a giant step back and talk to us about how it is that you come to be sitting here with us instead of behind the walls of San Quentin. And thank goodness you're here. Ooh, thank goodness I'm here. Yeah. Shit. So um, I'm one of the fortunate ones, you know, um, that I was serving a, a life sentence under the California Three Strikes Law. My first parole board hearing is in November of 2028, which is a few years away. But I was lucky enough to have the governor uh, commute my sentence, thanks to Ear Hustle. It's good meeting you, Nigel, I'm telling you. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> All the time. And, uh, yeah. and um, so once my sentence was commuted, I was released like 10 days later. And 
I don't know if it's in the episode that we currently we was talking about. Was we talking about? No, we was talking about survivor's guilt, right? Yeah. So we were talking about survivor's guilt, and I think mm-hmm. the question was posed on me: Do I have survivor's guilt? I was like, Nah, I don't have survivor's guilt. You know, it was it was my turn. You know, but then you know when you go back and you think about that that survivor's guilt, I think my, if anything, it's more of I was in there with everybody that's similarly situated with me. You know, I'm not an exception to them. We all, you know. Um, Grew up in that prison, changed our lives, you know what I'm saying? And I was just the fortunate one to make it out without having to complete a mandatory minimum sentence. So, you know, one of my missions now is, since I'm home, is to try to end that shit. Mm. Because, you know, three strikes law is a, is a cold law. It's an oppressive law. You know, and it's, an, a, law, it's a law that primarily affects people of color. You know, because I, I, I'm, I'm the lived experience. You know, I've, I've been through the prisons where... There were only two prisons that took three strikers that were cell living, and they were like 70% black. So uh, I figured, like, damn, everybody got three strikes, and that's what it was. So one of my missions out here is to utilize this platform however I can to end the law. So thank you. So Chapter 9 is a good example of some of the things that people who are huge fans of the podcast will find that are very, very different and dig a lot deeper into some of the the incredible appeal and that human, you know, almost chicken's eye view that the podcast gives. But there's a lot of opportunities where you widen the lens Mm -hmm. in this book, which I really appreciate, particularly around things like policy change. And I do believe that, you know, you just, I mean, it's fascinating to listen to the podcast and we feel like we, the intimacy of radio, the theater of the mind, you know, makes you feel like we know you both so well, but the book reveals really interesting aspects of your individual stories, which are totally unknown to, to listeners to the podcast. Yes, so true. I appreciate it. It's brave to put that forward, right? <laughs> Is it a little scary? Yeah, I think it, I wasn't sure we were going to have that in the book at first. Oh. Um, I mean, we wanted to have some background about how we met, but it went much deeper for both of us. I mean, we both go back to our childhood, mm-hmm. our, our young childhood, and it felt okay to do it in the book. So I guess it's it's not scary because we're doing it together. <laughs> I mean, nice. I always go back to that. It's not like neither of us are out there on a limb by ourselves. We're always like, you know, not not really holding hands, but you know, metaphorically mm-hmm. holding hands. We've actually never held hands. Um, <laughs> 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 but but um. I'm <laughs> so it wasn't as scary as, as one would think, and we and we worked with um, really great editor and writing partner, um, which made all the difference. So oh, we yeah. were in good hands. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I have to put in a plug for Random House, Random which House, is our, yes. our collective yes. Yes, <laughs> definitely. shelter. And welcome, uh, welcome to the house. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's wonderful. And a woman that we worked with, um, Dominica Aliota, which you know she was amazing, and it was like finding yet another partner to make things. Really, uh, we had a nickname. Effortless. Yes, we were the Dan. Dan, Team Dan, Dominica, Erlon, and Nige. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Team Dan. Hey, Team Dan, back there. I see you. Oh, she's here. Team Dan, <laughs> and then also, I mean, our editor, um, um, Lorena. Lorena, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was great. So, so, so going from one medium to another is a really interesting experience. Yes. It's an adaptation. So, I've, I've, I've experienced an adaptation from book to you know, filmed entertainment. Tell me what was most either you know, interesting, challenging, you know, fill in the blank, about that process of going from your paradigm of yes. doing radio, or excuse me, podcasting, podcasting yeah. but that, that sort of theater of the mind, to the written page, which I, I was trying to imagine what it was like to be you, and I was like, did they feel stifled or did they feel liberated? No. Who? Well, okay, I would say one thing er- Erlon said when we started talking was that we thought when you did a podcast, you just talked. <laughs> and what we learned pretty quickly is, no, you talk and you write a lot. Mm. Writing scripts, rewriting scripts, mm-hmm. editing interviews. And so I think both of us became better writers through that process of learning how to edit a podcast. So we, t- uh, we took that to the book. I've always enjoyed writing, um, like creative writing. So I didn't feel horribly daunted by it i also knew that we were going to be able to interview people and work from transcripts the the first chapter the f- of our both getting san quentin isn't that is 
pure, I would, pure writing. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. fair to say, but that, yeah. is, that is pure writing. But a lot of it was working from interviews that we did. So I felt like I had... I was in a known territory because mm-hmm. I was very comfortable doing interviews and talking to people. So I knew it was going to be there. It was how would we get that good part out onto the page and would it work? Like, I'm talking too much. You no, you're not. You, you're good. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, one of the things the podcast also relies on is sound, not just the sound of our voice, but beautiful sound design by Antoine Williams, um, ambi sounds that we use of the prison. And of course, none of that's in the book. Mm-hmm. So I, I did worry if it would somehow flatten without having that extra oral oral backing. I, someone else will have to tell us if it did or didn't. But that was one of my fears. Um, I think one of my fears was that it wasn't like my memoir or it wasn't, you know what I'm saying? So it was like trying not to put everything in the world that I've ever seen in it, you know, um, and which was... Hard, like, Your early chapter, though, is very detailed and beautiful hey, and and <laughs> wonderful. It's funny because it. I got a call from my sister yesterday. She like probably fourteen years under me, and she said, "Bro, I'm on the first page and I'm dying." Mm-hmm. She was like, "I did not know you and pops had that type of real." I was like, "Yeah, y'all was kids. Mm-hmm. Y'all didn't see it, you know." But um, it was for me. It was. It was. I've always been intimidated to like write a book, and I've been intimidated because, you know. Everybody don't have the organization of thoughts, you know, can, can put it in to where it just play out. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was intimidated that I wouldn't be able to do it because I'd be talking and I'd be everywhere. Like, I'd be over here, over there in 1988 and 95, all in the same, you know. So, sure. but Team Dan yep. kept me focused, you know, and what I needed to do. So, um, somebody from, what is it, Pen Life? Pen Life's calling us. Pen Life calling. <laughs> somebody in prison. Um, but I mean, that's the thing about working with a team is that, um, I'm aware of my strengths and my weaknesses and Erlon is too. And we support those, what I'm not good at, Erlon's good at, and it's true. He's not great at scheduling and organizing. That's one of my strengths. And so I know I can do that for him and, and he knows what he can do for me. And so we kind of, I can rebel, but we understand that and there's no judgment. So together we are our best selves working. That's how I feel anyway. I so appreciate it. She gave me a list like, hey, these are all the things we got to do. <laughs> I'm like, cool. I, and then he gets it done. <laughs> I love that you mentioned your best selves, though, because I, you know, in in Ohio, in my classes, I sort of always felt like, uh, not just felt like, but communicated to my students, all I want is for you to come to class and try to be your best self. Yeah. Try to be your best self in your writing. Try to be your best self in community with one another as we try to you know, push forward this boulder of, of this shared creative endeavor that we're doing. Yeah. So given that, I, I can only imagine, I, I, I really tried to imagine what it was like in the Media Lab at San Quentin, all the different characters, people, real people that you pull in here, yeah. who's, you know, some of whom are really familiar to listeners of the podcast. Um, I know that it's been a really tough almost two years of, of having very little access to the community that you built yeah. to create the podcast and even before that. Um, but you've been back a little bit. Mm-hmm. And how's that been? And are folks excited about the book? Some people may yeah. have seen it. Some people, yeah. you know, it's hard to get a non, uh, you know, a hardcover book into a prison. Uh, so what's the vibe check? Over okay, there? it's funny. <laughs> I just realized something when, when you said that I hadn't thought about before. I'm really nervous about bringing the book into the prison. I, I, I didn't realize, and I've been like dragging my feet and saying, well, it's a hardcover, we can't get it in, even though Lieutenant Robinson told me I could bring it in. Um, I, <laughs> so thank you for making me confront that. I don't know why. I, I, I don't know what people are going to think. I hope they like it. I'm worried that people will be like, why aren't I in there? You know, like, I don't want to let anybody no. down. And I, with the podcast, it's possible we let people down, but it's, there's something a little bit more ephemeral about it, even though you can always go back and listen to it. With a book, someone can point to a line and say, I can't believe you said that, or that's not true, or whatever. So it feels more uh, cast in stone, so I'm a little anxious about it. Erlon probably doesn't feel that way. Nah, <laughs> nah I don't. I mean, I, I've, I went back in San Quentin not too long ago, um, and... I learned that early on that like I gotta I gotta go in there like maybe what three more times before I can get work done because I'm answering questions all day. Mm-hmm. So I don't think individuals are when they get the book. I think they're gonna be like, "You did good, man. You did all right." 
because, you know, of course, writing this book, I got to, can I say it? I got to put my Sam Robinson hat on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I put my Sam Robinson hat on because, I mean, prison is still going on. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, my position, especially in this book, is not to, you know, um, say anything crazy that, uh, you know, mess anybody's stuff that they got going on today. But yeah, I always put my Sam Robinson hat on. That's what I used to do inside. Because yeah. we didn't know whether what we could say. Because when you talk about gangs, you talk about this, you talk about that. Mm-hmm. Some of those things like um, play a role on the safety and security of the institutions. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, of course, writing the book is like, okay, what is what is permissible? What is not permissible? What you know? What can I say? What can I not say? So I, I, I think writing it, writing it was more of trying to get every, all the facts out with my Sam Robinson hat on. Well, with any prison story, there's these parallels. There's like what the dance you have to dance with, you know, the people who control the prison. But also there's the concern about like not burning the spot or not, you know, not creating more conflict or pain for people who are already in a really difficult circumstance. Definitely. Yeah. Trust. I mean, I feel so much responsibility whenever anyone tells a story that's not about themselves, that's about other people, your responsibility to do it with integrity is huge and it's so easy to make a mistake and when you make that mistake there's no retracting it so i i it just i think about that all the time when we're working um and again somehow with the book that seems the, the weight seems a little bit heavier but but we'll, we'll see the, i guess I'm the, I'm the most worried about people saying why didn't you write but, about me nah, I ain't sure. <laughs> that, that's the I mean, people get people. They get out of prison. They be mad at me. Like, why you didn't put me in the episode? I'm be like, bruh, <laughs> bruh. We just wanted a moment of your life, not your whole story. Uh, you know. But I, people like really, really have issues because I didn't put them in the episode. And I'm like, bruh, it wasn't that, it's not my call like that. It's the story. But like, know, this is the thing that Erlon can do. Like, it, that's really hard for me. He'll just say to someone, "What do you want me to do? I can't do that." Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> just say, "Go talk to Erlon." <laughs> I mean, I think one of the things that is astounding and fascinating that you may already have experienced with the podcast, but certainly you may experience with the book, is that people really want to be seen. They, and, you know, obviously the millions of people we lock behind the walls of prisons and jails are very intentionally disappeared. But even the people who work in prisons and jails want their lives to be seen and recognized and yep. that is what you do. Totally. I mean, that's that's literally. Yeah. It's what the you do. it's the most important thing, and and I've always believed. Well, as long as I can remember, I believe this. But one thing, the podcast and the book has proved to me: if you ask somebody with intention a question and you really care about the answer, people will respond to you. They can sense that you care and you want to understand more. And it's not that hard to do. And the podcast is about asking honest questions and caring about what somebody says. And it's the same in the book. So I, I agree. People want to be seen. Nobody wants to be invisible. Yeah. And it's not that hard to make other people visible. Definitely. And people deserve to be yeah, visible. Yes. yes. With all their flaws. Everyone, everyone in here has a wonderful story to tell. Definitely. Everybody. Yeah. All right. I have one more question, and then we're going we're gonna to turn to some of your questions. And that is just, again, to bring it back to the book. So... You know, book titles are really challenging. You, of course, you know, already had the gift of your incredible, wonderful. And I know you say in the book that you didn't want a title that literally had prison in it, like, you know, prison hustle or what have you. Genius. Yes. Your subtitle is unflinching stories of everyday prison life. Dominica. Why unflinching? (laughs) This was a huge conversation. Was it? Yes, it was. Okay, Erlan, why unflinching? That's a Dominican question. No, but no, but but I think, of course, I mean, you know, you have you have some powerful stories, you know, inside. Um, you know, individuals that that for some reason that come in front of us, like Nigel say, you know, they just want to bear their, you know, tell the truth, be honest, you know, live in a moment, you know. Um, a lot, of, especially at San Quentin, a lot of people been there for a long time and. They, you know, came to grips with who they are today, you know, making amends for what they've done and just just want to speak. So we have some powerful stories that come to us, you know, so unflinching. Unflinching. Um, I don't know if anyone gets the the in joke about the title. This is Ear Hustle. 
Um, so when I was growing up, there was a beautiful children's series called This is San Francisco, This is New York by Joseph Sudak, I think was his last name. And so for me, that was the, I, I was thinking about that when we said, this is your hustle. <laughs> it's nothing to do with prison, but it's just like a beautiful childhood memory of a book that was important to me. But we definitely didn't want prison to be in yeah. ear hustle, like just ear hustle, not nothing. Yeah. Well, with good reason. I like the unflinching. One of the things that I was reminded of that I like so much about the podcast, which is also in the book, when we say unflinching, you know, for example, the dealing with people's sex lives. Yes. Or romantic lives. Yes. Is a great example of, you know, the unflinching nature. And I'm so glad that you choose to, to draw those stories out of people because that's what, you know. That's the truth. Yes. Yes, yes. All right. Speaking of the truth, let's get to some of these wonderful questions. Hold on. All right. Let's go with this one first. Any interest in an episode about the end of life in prison? Yes. Yes. Next season. That's a big preoccupation for me Mm. is is looking into um, hospice care in prison and what does it mean to end your life in a place nobody wants to end their life? Yeah, it's, it's a huge topic. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What can individuals with little to no experience in activism do in our everyday lives to advocate on behalf of incarcerated people? How can we get more involved? Uh, you can volunteer and stuff on the streets whether it's prisons, whether it's, you know, volunteering when people get out of prison to assist in some kind of ways. Um, and, yeah, I think that type of support is definitely needed for when individuals getting out of prison. Yeah, I think you have to look into your heart and see what it is that you have to give um, and understand how you can give that. So I was interested in prisons, and I didn't know how to get in there, but I was a, an educator, a professor, and I found out how to go into San Quentin as a volunteer teacher. And so I had, I knew I had a resource to offer, and from there, everything else unfolded. So I always say first look into yourself and see what it is that you have to offer, and an opportunity will come to you if you... That sounds so wooey. But if you put that... <laughs> I, I think it's true. If you put it out into the world, there'll be some answer. I think activism for the sake of activism can ring pretty hollow if it's not um, somehow attached to your heart. I would only tag onto that and say, you know, there's there's sort of, there's before, there's the prevention, the ways that we can divert people from ever going into the system, especially young people, because Mm -hmm. the juvenile justice system is a trap that you can't get out of, right? Definitely. And there's the during and sort of advocating for the safety and not, you know, so at the floor, the safety of people who are incarcerated, but also the opportunity to yeah. gain access to education. Yeah. So things like higher education, for example, we know that people who gain access to higher ed or, you know, even a degree, best case scenario, almost never go back to prison. Yeah. And then there's that return home from prison. So there's, yeah. you know, there's a lot that each of us can do. And for those who are politically minded, it's incredibly important for elected officials to hear from the most fortunate communities, because almost everyone who's locked up is from our least fortunate communities. So that's the, the end of my answer to the question. <laughs> Great answer. Um, all right. What were the biggest pushbacks from San Quentin for this to happen? I assume you mean the entire podcast, uh, not just the book. Um, and how was Erlon able to get out of work assignments to participate? <laughs> Damn. Wow. How, they assume great. you got out of work assignment. On point. Ooh. So um, I don't think there was any pushback until I got out of prison. There was pushback when I got out of prison. Say um, more about that. Um, uh, they didn't want me to be a part of Ear Hustle, which is the CDCR because they felt I wasn't in prison no more. Mm. And I was like, I'm on parole. I'm still under this shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know what you're saying. You know? <laughs> but I, I think that was like the only... Do you remember? Can we call any Yeah, I do back? remember. And that Who? was shocking when Erlon got out and there was discussion if he was going to be involved anymore because it, it, your hustles are a baby and it wouldn't work with one of us gone. It's just not going to happen. Um, so there was that that lasted for a nanosecond. Um, but I don't know if they mean pushback creating the podcast or the book or Erlon being out I don't know uh, 
I suspect pushback on like let me let me see if I can interpret the question. Yes. Um, so I think for many people, it's incredibly startling to learn that there's a media center at San totally. Quentin. Totally. And in some prisons, I've been to a lot of prisons and a lot of jails all over this country. In some prisons and jails, there is nothing like it is a desert in terms of any opportunity for people to pour productive energy into some kind of outcome. Yeah. Um, and then in other prisons you go to, like the men's prison where I taught in Ohio, mm -hmm. there, the, you know, there was a prison news network there. So they were making films and, and yeah. news clips and doing a whole host of various things. It was the first prison in the world that ever held a TEDx talk. Oh, and then yeah. that was widely copied by a number of others before it was eventually shut down. So there's always this precarious thing within a prison of giving opportunity... Mm -hmm. And opportunity can always be taken away yes. as well. So talk a little bit about that environment in San Quentin, yes. a notorious prison, mm -hmm. that, that there was even the opportunity for there to be a media Yeah, no, it's really important to say, I mean, I don't think your hustle could have happened in just any prison. Lieutenant Sam Robinson, who you hear on the podcast, is the public information officer. And without him, so many things are not possible in the prison because he's just he's supportive and he cares. So because there was a media lab and there has been a media lab at San Quentin for quite a few decades, we had a leg up in starting something. Um, but that doesn't mean, as you say, Piper, it can get taken away at any, any moment. Mm -hmm. And so we intentionally were, when we were starting your hustle, pretty much worked under the radar, meaning Erlan and I are both pretty quiet and not boastful types. And so we just worked really hard and made it, the podcast as indispensable as possible. And then it was too late for the prison to say no <laughs> to it. Um, I don't think they knew what they were saying yes to when they let us um, enter the pod quest contest and when we won. And then there was a lot of national kind of looking at what we were doing. And then I think the the prison saw that as beneficial to them. So we got a hook in them without them knowing. Say more about why you think it was, they found, felt it was beneficial to them. Because yeah. I think I, I agree that, yeah. that you hit the nail on the head, and yeah. that's why they let you do it. <laughs> yeah, 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 because it's a quality program coming out of the prison. It says that these things are allowed to happen in a prison. It looks progressive. Um, so there's, you know, and they, they, they trust us, which I know for some people sounds a little dicey, but we, we really have to walk a fine line of having trust of the administration and the, the people inside, or we could never do the podcast. And so we are very savvy about understanding that and, the, and using it to our advantage. Yeah, I, I didn't want to say we got too big for them. <laughs> but in some ways, uh -huh. that's, you know, I think there would be pushback if all of a sudden, I think there would be, maybe that's naive. Maybe they could just shut it down. And I think there would be pushback from, <laughs> from everyone here, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of those details, the nuance of like how you all got it done is in this book. Yeah. So, and, and very entertainingly <laughs> shared. And uh, Lieutenant Robinson gets a, gets a word in here. Yeah, well, he, if you've listened to the podcast over the eight seasons, you will see he becomes a bigger and bigger. Like, he actually <laughs> clearly loves his voice, too. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah, y'all hear the edited version. <laughs> yes. That's Erlon's job is editing down those. All right, a couple more questions here. What did you think about being a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize this year? Ooh. Damn. Crazy. I, I don't know what to say. It was just no, it was, it was interesting. You know, I was like, how do you say that? <laughs> and they, they had to break it. I could never get it. They was like, pull it, sir. sir. Pull it, sir. Pull it, sir. <laughs> but I mean, it was it, for me, it was interesting because somebody had called me was like, man, congratulations. I'm like, congratulations for what? It was, it was COVID time. And uh, I know what was a shelter in place. Mm -hmm. And you're supposed to be in the house. I was in the car just driving around because that's shelter in place, too. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I, re I realized that when I I've been driving my car for hours. Yeah. And that's when I found out and I called the team. I was like, hey, did, did we win something or something like that? They was like, I don't know. And they found out like, Yeah. So we didn't win, unfortunately. We didn't win, but we won. Yeah, I mean, it was shocking. It was a shocking thing. I mean, also because we—I don't, don't think of us as really journalists. I think of us as storytellers. So that surprised me too, in, in a delightful way. I mean, wow, incredible. Yeah, Pulitzer yeah. nominees. We won. <laughs> <This is great>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. In the future. 
do you envision any visual adaptations of the ear hustle, I would say, storytelling paradigm? I would love that. Definitely. Um, What's that look like? What's it look like? Is it happening? I don't know. There's always conversations. There's conversations that go places, some don't go places. Uh But there's always conversations of that. Got it. What might that look like? My dream would be a combination of animation and real life. Uh, what is I don't know what you call it real real film real stuff real stuff in the flesh animation in the flesh, in the in flesh. The flesh and and uh, because I I like I don't see I don't want any kind of like reality show which is what people have come to us for which is that's just just appalling that's not going to happen um, and uh, again it's like you're dealing with real people's stories so how do you how do you make sure that's safe mm-hmm. I, I worry about it getting taken so far out of our hands that we would lose control. And so I have this feeling with animation, we would have more flexibility to tell stories the way we like to tell them. But I don't know. I mean, it would be new for both of us. But we have been approached by a lot of people, just as never... Students sent us claymation. That was cool. Claymation. We had a claymation clip. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, we should should talk to you about that sometime, what it's like. (laughs) But you're receptive. Yes. yes, we are receptive. That's good. We can hope for that in yes, the future. Yes, yes. When the right partnership yes. comes down the, down yes. the pike. Okay, wonderful. Fantastic. Like Orange is the New? Like Orange is the New? Black what? <laughs> <laughs> That'll be cool. All right. Um, I, could, I could ask you questions all night, but I think that we are close on time. So I just want to encourage everyone to get a copy of this is ear hustle unflinching stories oh wait do we have more questions sorry <laughs> thank you sir do you have time of course. And for a couple sure. more questions sure. good 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 all right Which can one? y'all give it up for nigel pants they nice <laughs> <laughs> thank you yeah <laughs> they're they're photo based. It's the boots that really get me. Ah, the boots are nice too. You know, Flubag. All right. Um, I know the answer to this question, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pose it to you. Would you consider going on a tour and giving talks similar to this one across the country? Yeah, if, if, if we get the invite, <laughs> we're there. Yeah. Hell yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, we would love to do more in person things. And yes. which audiences are you most interested in talking to? Obviously, there's fans of the podcast everywhere in the country. But when you think about the different um, people impacted by the questions that are raised in the in the podcast, you know, and the ex- incredible accessibility of the podcast, particularly, that's really. Good. I like the younger minds. I like the the, mm-hmm. the minds that's in high school and mm-hmm. you know that you know college and, but I mean everybody you know. But definitely those 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 be some interesting conversations. Yeah, I can't say this would be my ideal audience, but we've had the opportunity to talk at. Uh, what it was like for the CDCR? It was there, it was like the oh, we missed Trevor Noah's show for this I know, show. I know. <laughs> it was a convention for people who work for corrections, and ah. and it was really interesting to talk to that group. And we're going to be the keynote speakers for another corrections convention. Unless in Trevor spring. Noah call again. So, <laughs> I know. I'm I'm so mad at myself. When I make a commitment, I make a commitment, and we committed to talk at this convention, and then we got invited to be on Trevor. Trevor Noah. No, that was, that was a Lieutenant Robinson thing. Yeah, he he would have had that. It. Anyway, we never got invited back. Um, <laughs> so I'm not saying that's my ideal audience, but it's interesting to talk to an audience that you don't think is going to be receptive yeah. and to feel the change in the room and then to hear the questions that come out of it. So I, I enjoy those kinds of challenges. Have you experienced... So an interesting question. So you were... So 2015 is when you began to work on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Obviously, it's been a runaway success and so on and so forth. How many prisons or jails are now permitting or at least thinking about allowing people to do creative work along the same line? Well, I will say I I can't give you a number, but we get so many more emails and and questions from other prisons where they're trying to start podcasts or other groups that are, are starting podcasts. So I would say it's proliferating. I don't know what the number is, but we are also trying to get into other prisons mm-hmm. to spread outside of San Quentin and Definitely. obviously in California, but we'd also like to get in prisons and do stories outside of California. So that's one of our next 
big hurdles is how do we move outside of the CDC, California Department of Corrections. Okay. Yeah. And what do you, what, it, what emerges as the biggest challenge and the biggest, obviously the opportunity is vast. Yes. So this is the, the biggest challenge. I think the biggest challenge is how do you recreate the intimacy that you have in a place where you are known where you know people in San Quentin know us, we know San Quentin, and I think that's one of the reasons our our stories work. How do you recreate that in an institution where you aren't you're just like anyone else going in and leaving, and that's problematic. So I don't quite know how to solve that yet. It's spending a lot of time someplace. I don't know how we do that with our schedules. Um, and for example, we did a story uh, uh, last season with Leslie Van Houten. Um, who's at a woman's facility in Southern California. Mm-hmm. We we couldn't go in there. We had to do it all on the phone. But I feel like that story guided us a little bit into that prison because now we know her and people, I think we, we because of that, more women in the prison will be interested. So I hope something like that helps. Mm-hmm. But you can't, I don't think you can just jump in someplace and expect to have trust. You just well, have certainly to not. I think so, we like... We're going into the juvenile halls now, so mm-hmm. we're in the Alameda County Juvenile Hall, and I think we're going to go in there this week and just get to know cats and, you know, chop it up with them before, you know, we teach them how to do podcasting. Mm-hmm. So it's just really getting to know them and, under, you know, get some type of rapport, and then you never know. They're going to say something that's like, that's it. Mm. That's the story we're going to work on right there. And but it's putting in the time. Yeah. Like It's like going into the juvenile center for a year probably before there's even a story. It's just getting to know people in there, but it's also giving the people inside the opportunity to get to know us. Like it's a two-way street. Of course. You know, and so that just takes time. And that's one of the things people aren't patient about. Good work takes a lot of time. Erlan, so what do you think creates, uh, it's not the entire prison, obviously, but creates some cohort of people who are incarcerated, who are willing to come around the media center or the specific podcast, because you're absolutely right. You can't come in, you can't parachute in from outside and replicate this work or only or simply inspire, you know, people to go off and running. It really comes from the community and the environment that the men or the women or the kids are creating themselves. It's the opportunity, you know, it's having an opportunity to do something different or having the opportunity to do something that, that you can invest your time in. You don't mind investing your time in. You want to learn something different than just the regular trades in prison. Or mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Me, I, I got to San Quentin because they had a media center. I've been to a lot of prisons, and none of them had a media center. So um, I wanted to learn film. And uh, I was, matter of fact, before we started this, that's what I was doing there, film stuff. Um, but I think it's when you are in a place like that and you have the opportunity. Because I think... If if all the prisons had that, uh, individuals, it, it'd be a lot more, probably podcasts. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just the opportunity, having an opportunity. A lot yeah. of prisons don't have those opportunities yeah. because they probably don't have the space for stuff like that. And my observation would be that you always see, when there are those opportunities, you always see a whole cadre of people who are very committed to protecting the work and protecting the community and that can get territorial you talk about that in the book but there is something incredibly beautiful about people's commitment to this one opportunity for a positive outlet an opportunity for creativity to an opportunity to accomplish something that is otherwise denied to you yeah yeah it's beautiful all right i think we have one more question here and it's for all three of us. Ooh. Why do you think there is so much interest now in life in prison? Hmm. What do we think of that question? That's a good question. I, th- um, I think individuals, um, I think sometimes you see things differently. You may have someone that's in your life that's been incarcerated, or you may hear a story that's, that's outrageous, like a person getting a thousand years to life or something, you know, and individuals want to get involved. I think even in the criminal justice movement, you know, it's a lot of laws that's been changing. It's a lot of, um, you know, rolling back the scales of the tough on crime, you know. Um, So I think a lot of individuals definitely see that they have a place to help change this, you know. So I think it's a culture that, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. It's a great thing. I don't have anything good to say on that. I don't know why. 
Okay. Except, except that yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it's great, but I don't know what made the. I don't know what changed it. I'm not necessarily convinced that it's changed. I think that there's always been a fascination yes. with um, individual, yeah, both the individual and the, the group struggle that that happens. Prison is inherently conflict-ridden. But one thing that has obviously changed is that we have so many more of our people who are locked away, right? So, you know, there have always been some pretty fascinating prison narratives told, but there's a proliferation of them because there's a proliferation of people who have who are are incarcerated or have experienced incarceration. And I think people are more alert to the way in which that huge, you know, 70 million people with a criminal record is a lot of Americans. Yeah. And so people are more alert, I think, to the ways in which that is impacting all of us and therefore curious. But of course, prison is a forbidden world. And Mm -hmm. so naturally, people are going to be curious no matter what. But it does have this powerful impact on on every facet of our lives, right down to democracy. Oh, boy. Uh Getting another note. Indeed. Uh Oh, Okay. Yeah, is these all coming from the same person? I think these these are coming from the internet. Oh, I believe. Because hey, I'm like, that's the same handwriting. We love no. the internet. <laughs> this is funny. I was going to ask this question uh, earlier in the program, but I I I am glad someone else has done it. So I'll phrase it as they do. Uh, favorite episode? Oh, yeah. That's a tough one. It's it's a really tough one. Yeah. I'm going to, Erlen, I'm not going to say the one I always say. What's it? Oh, Roach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you no, I ain't good. I'm in, I'm, I, I it's your story. Yeah, I do. One of my favorite stories is called Looking Out about Roach. I love that just story. Just said you wasn't going to do that. I know. So I'm not, that's not the one I'm going to talk about. I did, unfortunately, just mention it. But the, the, the story that's so deep in my heart right now is the one we did about Leslie Van Houten mm-hmm. because it had so many creative challenges. And I also, on a personal note, had to face some things that I was really concerned about growing up at a time when Manson was in the news. It was a story that had infiltrated my childhood, and, and Manson was the boogeyman to me. So to be able to to get to know Leslie in a different way and tell her story and have to figure out how to do it in 15 minute phone call increments and I also have phone phobia so there are all these things that are personally hard for me and I thought it was such I thought it was so beautiful the things that we could get to with her and how intimate it got um, with three strangers talking on the phone so that just gave me a lot of hope so right now that's my favorite and we have an ongoing you know relationship with her we try to talk to her every every week and so I'm, I'm very proud of that story. I, I, I think we didn't know if we could make it work, and I think it worked really well. And it gave someone um, who's been so demonized um, a voice and a, and a place to be seen and heard in a very different way. That's beautiful. Who goes to board next month? Who goes to board next Wait month? Wait till I tell Roach, though. Yeah. But <laughs> what about you, E? What about you, E? Um, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of hard to say, but I have to stick with um bittersweet bittersweet was the one the story about um when i actually got out of prison mm-hmm. but it, i always wanted to do a story about my nephew my nephew was shot 19 times he was 19 unarmed by the police killed in long beach and i always just wanted to do something but didn't know what to do um and my brother just so happened to be my cellmate Mm-hmm. So I, we never like talking about my nephew wasn't like an easy thing to do, even though we in the cell, we never really just opened up and 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 and, and talked about it. So on the episode, we were able to talk with him and uh, my sister Tyra and they, it was it was their kids. She was like my sister-in-law, but I was able to just hear them speak on it for the first time. So it was it, that was really that's one that that I hold deep, dear. So, so personal. Definitely bittersweet. That's that's. I listen to it like every time I'm like I'm on a I'm on a trek. I throw it in every now and again and mm-hmm. just just listen to it. Gorgeous. All right. They also ask least favorite, but I think that's not an answerable question. What was the most difficult episode to produce? Let's. I, I apologize okay. to whoever answered asked that question. Yeah, but I I'm rephrase I, it. I can tell you <laughs> very easily the most difficult episode to produce. It was called. Uh, we did it last. I think it was last season too. It was called the trail. Uh, and it was uh, 
Oof, I don't want to end on this. Um, it was a story of a very a brutal rape. Um, and we wanted to do a story about, about that crime. And um, it's, it's about the, the man who committed the crime and also about the woman who was the victim. And she had died in the time long before we even wanted to do the story. So it was trying to piece her together through talking with her sister, which is one of the most intense difficult and beautiful interviews I've ever done to talk to a stranger and have to go on this journey with her about who her sister was and what had happened to her. Um, Oh, it makes me choke up just thinking about that interview. Um, And so putting that together and honoring her, the woman who died, honoring the sister and listening with an open heart and compassion to the man who had committed this really brutal, brutal crime, the thing that every woman fears happening to them. Um, so that was hard. That was really hard. And I think there was some pushback, like, why are we telling us, you know, every ear hustle story can't talk about how great everyone in prison is. Like, I mean, it needs, it needs to be real. And, and there, there's terrible things that happen and, and we need to talk about it. So I think that for me was the hardest one to produce and, and to feel like we did justice to everyone involved and that we didn't take advantage of anybody. And it was hard when it came out. I think it was very hard for the man who, who committed the crime to hear he, I don't think he had great accountability, and I've talked to him a few times since, and it's really, I think, made him dig deeper in, into why that happened and what his responsibility was. So, oof, that was hard. Mm. Do you agree? That episode? Uh, that episode was a hard one. I say it's it's a lot of them that are difficult. I think one of one of one of the most difficult things in prison was to get individuals who had been locked down maybe over 30 years to talk to us. Because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of individuals had the philosophy of we don't talk to media, and we became media, you know. So uh, individuals, I got one in here, Al King. He was one. Al King didn't want to talk to us. Ain't that right, Al? <laughs> See, he don't want to talk now. You. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Al King did about 38 years. He would not get on the mic. I was like, Al King, get on the mic, man. <laughs> you know, and I used to always tell OGs, like, man, you're going to continue to be a statistic if you don't get your story out there. If people don't know about you, they ain't going to care. You know, so I used to use that one to get up on people. But I think one of the difficult ones was uh, probably Dirty Water. Oh, yeah. Because we did the whole Dirty Water. It was about sex trafficking and and we did the whole episode, and then the guy in the episode was like, nah, man, I can't do it. My lawyers and them say, I can't do it, man. I can't do the story. And I was looking at him like, what? We just did this whole story. So then I had to talk him into why he should do the story. So that became like, so that one was difficult because it was almost the whole story that was complete, mm-hmm. and he was pulling the plug. Yeah, but you did your magic. I did. I, 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 I out-talked him. Yep. You know? And, and that guy was a big talker. It was amazing you could do it. And got him to agree. So that probably was real difficult. So it'd be, it'd be those little little things behind the scenes that, you know, add to the story. Yeah. I mean, I have to, I have to again say, to simply accomplish, like, the beautiful, polished storytelling that you do in a prison is incredibly difficult in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And to tackle these subjects yeah. and these wounds and the, you know, whatever process of healing someone might have accomplished is really tremendous. Thank you. Thank and you. I do Definitely. think people in prison have this fascinating frankness, but also an incredible and necessary circumspectness and self-protection. Yeah. And you accomplish a, a way that is safe for people to tell their stories in a place that is not built to be safe. I appreciate Indeed. that. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Thank Can, you. Um, we end with something cheery. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cheer- so I just want to end with something cheery. Um, so I, Erlon and I have never, never held hands, oh. but we did, we did, we did on stage, but we did do something together, which was my dream for a long time, which was, um, she thug. Oh, you, she thug. Wow. So oh. we got, <laughs> We went and got tattoos together. Uh, and this is our first I, I, I want her to f- go finish the story, Nigel. Oh, um, she can't talk about this without talking about Erlon something else. Erlon cried like a baby. 
<laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. I've never seen him act like that. He was so inconsolable. Um, and I was totally fine. But anyway, this is been... <laughs> and he's going to say his had more needles, blah, 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 blah. Um, Mine had 10 needles. She had one needle. He claims it hurts more than childbirth. <laughs> anyway, so this is our, this is our everlasting hand-holding, is that we have definitely, our together. Definitely. That was a fun part. That's beautiful. That you were bound hurt. by ink and yes, blood. Yes, bound by ink. <laughs> Bound by ink and pain. By hurt. ink and blood. So get some of this ink, people. You want this ink for sure. Um, these lovely human beings are going to be signing books outside, just outside that door. So if you're ready to get your book signed, they are Thanks. ready to do it. Thank you. Um, I, I think I have a few concluding words. Hold on one second. Can we just thank you? This is so great to talk with you. Oh, it's my gosh. It's always great it's to talk so to fun. you. Thank you very much. My great, great pleasure, of course. Um, we want to thank these two beautiful human beings for joining us today at Inforum at the Commonwealth Club. Um, the book is outside, as we mentioned. Um, if you'd like to watch more programs or support the Commonwealth Club's efforts in making virtual and in-person programming this year, please visit commonwealthclub.org slash online. Um, Thank you so much. Thank and you. enjoy all that the, the, the transition into a new medium brings you. <laughs> thank you. And, uh, and each and every one of you, thank you for yeah, coming you. out thank and you. being here in person with us. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you. So with no further ado, we'll take a quick... Oh, uh, we have a... Oh, yeah. oh, thank you. That's thank what's you. up. That's what's up. Yes. Well, we tried. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Wouldn't want, to, wouldn't want to be anything else than Bonnaroo. She won the award, though. We know you win the award, Nigel. I mean, those pink boots. Thank yes. You. All right. We're going to take a very quick break. And for those who want their book signed right outside, thank you so much. Thanks again. Thank Have a wonderful evening. What up? Join us November 19th at 6 p.m. Pacific Time for the Commonwealth Club's Virtual Gala. Raise your glass to good health as we celebrate the leadership of women in science and medicine. Text CLUB2021 to 41444 to register and donate today. You've been listening to a podcast of Inforum, an innovation lab at the Commonwealth Club. Support our podcast and find out about upcoming live events in San Francisco at inforumsf.org.